Welcome back to TanakhCast. This is episode 82. We'll begin with a brief summation of chapters 1 through 3 in 2 Kings and follow with a consideration of prophetic comedy. So because of Ahav's sincere act of contrition at the end of the previous episode, God decrees that he will be spared of the awful punishment that is due to befall his dynastic line. So that pleasure falls on Ahaziah who literally falls through a lattice in his palace and injures himself. And rather than seek proper advice from a proper source, he sends a messenger to inquire of the Oracle of Baal Zvuv. Will he recover? And guess who the messengers bump into on the way? That's right, Eliyahu. He's back and snarky. Quote, Is it for lack of a god in Israel that you go to inquire of Baal Zvuv, god of Ekron? And incidentally, the answer is no. The king will not recover. Chapter 2 recounts the ascension of Eliyahu, his literal ascension to heaven in a whirlwind, which the text tells us straight out, right in the first verse, in case we weren't going to stick around for that ending. Hmm. It seems that everyone knows that Eliyahu is going up to heaven in a whirlwind because everywhere Eliyahu and Elisha go, groups of acolyte prophets come rushing out to meet them, all excited about the sound and light show. And Elisha tells them each time, Shut up, baby, I know it. And no matter how Eliyahu tries to shake Elisha, Elisha says, quote, As the Lord lives and as you live, I will not forsake you. So finally, after a meander in the hill country of Judea, Eliyahu gets serious and heads east to the Jordan River, with 50 acolyte prophets hovering about in the near distance. Eliyahu and Elisha approach the riverbank. Eliyahu takes off his mantle, kind of rat tails it, and... And the waters of the Jordan part, and Eliyahu and Elisha cross to the eastern bank. And then Eliyahu turns to Elisha and asks, quote, Ask, what may I do for you before I am taken from you? And Elisha, without missing a beat, says, quote, Let there be, pray, a double portion of your spirit upon me. Ooh, cheeky. And Eliyahu knows this because he says, quote, You have asked a hard thing, and he goes on to say that if God lets him witness his ascension, then his wish will be granted. And lo and behold, as they are talking, a chariot of fire appears, and Eliyahu casually mounts it, and... Nine, eight, ignition sequence has started. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. We have commit, and we have liftoff at 2.13. Quote... And Elisha was watching, and he was crying out, My father, my father, Israel's chariot and its horsemen. And when the silence returns, Elisha is left standing there alone, bereft. He finds Eliyahu's mantle, returns to the banks of the Jordan, and... And the fifty acolyte prophets crowd around Elisha, Can we go find your master, Eliyahu, they ask? He's around here somewhere. Elisha tells them, you won't find him. But they insist. He refuses. They insist some more. Finally, he relents. And when they look for three days and don't find him, Elisha tells them, I told you. What did I tell you? Didn't I tell you? Because I told you. Mm Mm-hmm. And when did I tell you? A long time ago. And what did I say will happen when I told you? Exactly what just happened. 
Alicia is now the only real prophet in town, and already he's being hit upon for some miracles. He heals the water of Jericho and then heads out from there to the hills around Beit El, where he meets some young lads. Some words are exchanged about Alicia's lack of hair on his head, and then Alicia has some words with the boys, and... (laughs) And then no more boys. Chapter 3 involves a military adventure undertaken by Yehoram, the next in line to succeed Ahaziah, who faced an insurrection led by Mesha, king of Moab. It seems that with the death of Ahav, Mesha had no longer felt it necessary to pay Israel tribute. So Yehoram enlists the support of Yehoshaphat, and they march off together to fight Moab, along with the king of Edom. But as they cross into the wilderness of Edom, having swung south through the Negev and up and around the Dead Sea from the southwest, they run out of supplies. And so in a moment of crisis, Yehoshaphat turns to Yehoram and says, aren't there any prophets of God around here we can consult for some good advice? One of Yehoram's servants says, "Um, yeah, Elisha's nearby. So the three kings go see Elisha, who turns to Yehoram and says, well, why don't you consult one of your father's prophets or maybe one of your moms? In the end, Elisha relents out of respect for Yehoshaphat and prophecies about pools of water filling the wadi for the animals to drink. And then he bids them success in their war. The chapter concludes on an odd note of those miracle pools filled with water reflecting the sunlight. So the Moabites, it looks kind of like blood, and they assume that the Israelites and Judahites have killed each other. So when they arrive at the camp of Israel, surprise, everyone's still alive and ready for a fight. And the war goes well for our side. Elisha's prophecy is fulfilled until Mesha escapes to his capital and sacrifices his son on the walls of his city and, quote, a great fury came against Israel. Did Chemosh, god of Moab, smite Israel? Well, it's not clear. But what is clear is that Israel and her allies withdraw. (laughs) Thus endeth the summation and beginneth the consideration. In the last episode, I considered how prophets today might find themselves as hosts of late-night satire shows, except that prophets have a very different goal, to get people to change their behavior. And it's a long slog, and it's utterly thankless, and it often gets you pelted with stones or dog poop or whatever, or thrown in jail or eaten by wolves. Okay, well, maybe not the last thing. And, and comedians... They get up in front of a crowd, and their only goal is to make folks laugh, and in the process, they maybe, maybe might get you to think a little bit about something bigger than farts and poop, but in the end, it's just a passing thing, and there's very little of it that lingers. But after enough beers, you might even begin to think about this episode as a sort of situation comedy as well. You 
guys, come on. You know Elisha only came to be a prophet because he was called. Eliyahu literally plucked him out of his life. He barely had enough time to say goodbye to his parents before heading off to his new mission in life, representing God's will before the people. And everywhere Elisha goes, it seems that everyone knows that Eliyahu is about to go up to heaven except for Elisha. (laughs) And that Elisha follows Eliyahu around like a little puppy while Eliyahu tries to get rid of him. Oh, I say go away, boy, you bother me. (laughs) And they go from town to town in the hill country. Each time, the acolyte prophets keep telling Elisha, Hey man, dude, Eliyahu's going up to heaven soon. And Elisha's like, shut up, I know. (laughs) And finally, they reach Jericho to the west bank of the Jordan River, but this time, they have company. 50 acolyte prophets rubbernecking because when Eliyahu goes up to heaven, it's going to be... Excellent! (laughs) So Eliyahu parts the river and... Yada, yada. Yada what? Yada, yada, yada. <laughs> and then Eliyahu asks Elisha what he wants, and Elisha says, You talk. Give me two. But then, like in all good sitcoms, the story takes a serious turn. It's time for Eliyahu to say goodbye, for the master to leave his protege. And so Eliyahu turns and steps onto that fiery chariot and says, <laughs> It's gonna be so hard to say goodbye. I love you all, too. Goodbye, Tin Man. Oh, don't cross. You don't rust so dreadfully. (sighs) But Alicia finds Eliyahu's mantle. And now he's in charge. And for the rest of Alicia's story in this episode, he's the man. Elisha makes miracles, but the best moment, probably my favorite moment in the whole Tanakh, happens on the way to Beit El. And not just because I'm follicularly challenged like Elisha was. I'm talking about the fact that, it's, that, that this is the moment where like, there's so many life lessons packed into this little interaction between a prophet and his people, when the relationship between the prophet and the folks he's supposed to fix is stripped bare, no pun intended, and true feelings come out. The fact is, prophets are our big party poopers, and they're the fish in the cat in the hat. And to you. Out of this house. I'm warning you, get. Who's that? I believe that we haven't yet met. The name is Crinklebein. Carlos K. Crinklebein. Now please go away. Tell that top-hatted cat he should not be about. He should not be here when your mother is out. But the thing is, the fish, the prophet, they're absolutely necessary because of folks like the cat in the hat or King Ahav, or those rascals on the road to Beit El who just don't know when to keep their mouths shut. Someone has to keep these folks in line. But like I said at the top of the episode, it's a hard job and sometimes you've had a hard day and your beloved master goes up to heaven in a fiery chariot and really doesn't leave any kind of instructions about what to do and, you know, you just snap. Did I do that? Did I do that? Did I do that? Did I do that? 
But it's all in good fun, and in upcoming episodes, the yucks just keep on coming with even more fun miracles, witty reposts, and genuine feelings as we follow Alicia around the countryside in the next episode of Nonprofit Organization. <laughs> or how about making a profit? Yeah. Or how about Profit margin. <laughs> if you like what you heard today, spread the word about Tanakhcast. Send a friend an email to say, Hey, you should check out Tanakhcast. Or like Tanakhcast at the show pages on Facebook or Google+. Or write a brief review at the iTunes Store, Google Play, Stitcher Smart Radio, or SoundCloud. It's a small thing, really, but it will help other people find Tanakhcast. I thank you in advance for that, and encourage you to join us again in two weeks for... Episode 83, when we continue the second book of Kings with chapters 4 through 7.